0: You are listening to Jai Long and this is Make Your Break, episode number 85. Today, I have a financial advisor on the podcast to bring you guys another insight into financial wealth, financial freedom, building ourselves some wealth and making a bit of a plan because as creatives, I know firsthand that a lot of us and many of us, we don't really think too much about our financial future. We don't really make a plan and we don't really put too much emphasis onto these little things. And I know for a fact how much just a small change, small habit change or a small decision that you make now can impact our lives so, so big in the future. So it's really important just to take the time of day like right now and out of our day just to talk about this kind of stuff and get a new perspective. So I've got Jackson Milan here with me and he is a wealth coach and he's going to coach us a little bit through how we can get started with investing and with the money mindset we need to grow our our personal self, which is also going to help our business as creatives as well. So out of Jackson's book, I actually pulled out his 10 rules, his 10 commandments starting with investing. So today we're going to dive into all 10 and get a bit of an overview. I'm also going to ask him how he made his break. We're going to talk about a project that he's working on, how he's Got 27 staff working there in Sydney, and he's also going to travel around Australia in his truck as well, which is so exciting because one of the things that we like to do is we like to build a little bit of wealth for our future so we get the chance to do things like that so we can travel a little bit, so we can have a little bit more freedom, have some more choices, and make different decisions. So I'm really excited to bring that to you. Before we get started, I'm still running the Mindset Reset Challenge. If you're interested in that, This week, I'm actually talking about abundance, so abundance around money in particular. Just get over to my Instagram, which is at jialong.co. Go over to my Instagram and DM me Mindset, and I'll send you a link to that. It's a lot of fun. I send a video every week. We're halfway through, and I would love for you to join me because every single week, if you can just think a little bit, be conscious about our mindset, about what we say to ourselves, about how we feel when we think about money. Are we triggered? Are we feeling empowered? Are we feeling guilty? There's so many emotions that come up. So the more that we think about that, the more we're going to be able to make better decisions. So let's get started. Jackson Milan on the podcast. He's right here, right now. Let's do this. Hey, so I'm here with Jackson Milan. I actually met Jackson on Clubhouse out of all places and um, I tend to do a lot of networking on all these new apps all the time. I had someone from TikTok not too long ago, but you can always find so many new people when you join a new platform and you're expanding your horizon like that. So Jackson, actually, he's in Sydney, aren't you, Jackson? I am. Yeah, Northern Beaches. Northern Beaches. And you are a financial advisor. I don't like to use the term financial advisor. I like to prefer uh, refer to ourselves as wealth coaches because there's a difference. <laughs> nice wealth coaches. So the reason why I kind of said it like that is because I wanted you to give yourself the title and sort of speak into that a little bit. Hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll, I'll give you a bit of backstory, Jai, and and for everyone
1: listening, um, so they can kind of understand the context around all of this. And um, is that I, I started my career when I was nineteen, um, and I don't look like a typical finance guy because I'm not. Um, I got involved in this industry because of my parents. My parents were business owners. Um, my mom was a hairdresser. She tried really hard to scale a salon and she was never really that successful. My old man was a dreamer. He tried his hardest to, to really try every single business that he possibly could, but never really stuck to anything long enough to see success. And one of the things they always taught me as a kid is, Jackson, if you want to be successful in life, you've got to work hard for it. And this is coming from people who kind of worked six hour days for as long as I could remember. But I remember getting to a point where I realized there was something wrong. And um, with what they taught me. Because the reality was that if what they told me was true, they would have been spillionaires. But they weren't. They battled for every single dollar that they earned. Totally. And I quickly realised there was something wrong. There was a disconnect. There was something missing, and that they didn't understand the language of money. So I wanted to be a catalyst for change, and I got involved in the advice industry. I left school. I did my uh, my diploma of financial planning. Uh, I started as a trainee financial advisor, and there was uh, once again I could sense something really wrong. My first role was in a place called the Financial Advice Centre, and it, it looked like a scene out of the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, it was atrocious. There was people on the floor of about 400 people on the phones. It was chaotic. It was just so toxic in the air. And those people on the phones calling people, selling them crappy commission-based products, people like my parents who didn't need them, and reaping the rewards of taking advantage of people who didn't know any better. And I hated it. And I thought I'd done something wrong. I thought I'd made a big mistake. But what I just realized is I was just in the wrong environment. And very quickly, I got fired because I wasn't uh, the the type of person that they wanted. And, And then I realized that I needed to craft a new way. And I decided to start going down the path of being a wealth coach. Because what I realized is that people didn't necessarily need to be told what to do and have the responsibilities of their finances outsourced. They just needed to be educated how to do the right things for themselves. And then, over the last fourteen years, I've helped over a thousand clients build over one point four billion in combined wealth. It's amazing, man, you must be proud of yourself. yeah, it's it's been an achievement. Like I've always been focused on impact, and I, we were talking about this the other night, is that I think if you focus on impact, then income will follow. And my big thing has always been how do I help people like my parents, and uh, people who haven't been taught money, haven't been given a leg up in life, are self-made, and teach them to turn their hard work into, financial freedom and that's what it's all about
0: man i know like um listening to your story like obviously i resonate with it and i know a lot of listeners resonate with it because we always start with like what our parents taught us and then we kind of as we come into our own we start questioning all the time and you know me from talking in clubhouse i'm a challenger so i love challenging anything that anyone tells me always right so that's what i'm all about and um I think for myself, like the reason why I um, have some financial knowledge is because I'm always challenging what I believe people are doing or if it works for them or if it doesn't work for them. And of course, my parents, you know, it comes down to what I've been taught and all that kind of stuff. But I really resonate with what you're saying because on a couple of different levels, one is like my mum's the person on the other side of the call that gets, you know, gets scammed into everything. Like she gets uh, Telstra, like phone bills so big that the plan's not even on their website. you know. And it's like, how does she even get signed up to something like this? So all these things are always killing me. The second thing is like with financial advisor and you talking about like you're a wealth coach, there is so much stigma attached to a financial advisor. I'm not too sure why, but people tend to not trust them because people don't trust people with their money when they don't understand themselves about their own money. So then they're even more insecure about it. So bringing it back to being a coach, you're essentially allowing people to ask the questions and to be educated and to trust you a lot more. Yeah. And I think a lot of the problems stem from the fact that the financial advice industry
1: is still very young. And it evolved from a a product sales role. Like my old man, funnily enough, and I didn't know this until I'd already embarked on this path of being a financial advisor. But one of my my dad's uh, uh, kind of businesses that he tried was he was a a life insurance agent and a a savings plan agent before the superannuation days, before super was mandatory. And he worked for National Mutual and he was self-employed and he was a commission-based salesperson and basically used to go around door-to-door selling these insurance and investment savings products for commissions. And that was what evolved into what we now call a financial advisor. So to think that somebody who's doing a transactional Mm, door-to-door sales-based role- A salesman. Yeah, the salesman in in less than 30 years has now transitioned into being what is providing some life-changing advice, like proper life-altering advice. And unfortunately, a lot of those Foundations and uh, a lot of that kind of DNA of where the industry came from came with it, and it's only now that the industry is actually transforming into a profession. There's there's a lot more compliance in place to protect consumers, and there are a lot of great financial advisors out there. Don't get me wrong, but there are a lot of cowboys who just seize control from their clients. They end up being predatory and they take advantage. Um, And that's something that I really despise um, and I abhor because I want people to understand how to manage money for themselves.
0: It's great that you see it and it's great that you're making a change. When I said that you should be proud of yourself, like before, it's not impacting the thousand people, it's standing out of line and taking it upon yourself to actually make a change. And that's, to me, takes so much courage because it's not an easy thing to do to like challenge the status quo and to um, actually create something that's a little bit different and start that conversation. So I'm really happy that you're doing it and um, I'm really happy that you're on my podcast today. So I'm excited to get into everything.
1: I'm looking forward to it as well, mate.
0: Well, before we get into it, because we've got um, basically your 10 commandments, your 10 rules on building wealth, just starting out, and we want to dive into those. And this is just a little segment out of your book that we're going to talk about at the end of this as well. But, um just sort of playing on this last thing, because this is the biggest question that I get. Like, people always say to me, like, obviously, I'm a business coach. People look to me for advice. And they say, Jai, how can I find a good financial advisor? How do I know that they're not just selling me the products that best suits them, not suit the client? Like, how do I vet someone and trust someone to be, you know, my rock star in my corner? Yeah, I think there's a few things. So what's
1: super important, guys? is I think everyone should learn how to manage things for themselves before they outsource it, because it's so difficult to outsource anything. Like it's the same in business, right? You can't outsource your marketing. If you don't know how to market, you don't know your client avatar. Like it's always going to fall on deaf ears. And in some cases, the issues get magnified when you try to outsource it. You can't outsource your sales and create a sales team unless you've got some fundamentals around sales. And the same thing happens with your money. However, the most precious thing to everyone, like which is your money, which gives us the freedom and opportunities to do the things that we want to do. We think that we can just outsource before we have a deep understanding of the fundamentals of finance ourselves. So the first thing you need to do is you need to get educated. And it's you can start really simple. There's some phenomenal books out there, like the Barefoot Investors book. And a, a lot of financial advisors talk shit about Barefoot. I think he's fantastic. I think the movement that he's created to help everyday Australians get excited about their money is second to none. But what I also recognize is that barefoot doesn't work very well for business owners. And this is about understanding, well, okay, we can't just follow everything blindly. We can take the fundamentals, but it's about how do we then tailor this for ourselves. So there's a few key things that everyone needs to do. The first thing that you need to get really good at when it comes to finance is realizing that money is just a vehicle. You don't chase money. You chase outcomes, outcomes that are intrinsically important to you. And they are typically lifestyle outcomes or financial outcomes. For example, a lifestyle outcome is that you want to spend two months a year traveling Europe when we can finally get off this uh, get off this island that we call home. Or you want to be able to send <laughs> your kids to private school. Or you want to be able to pursue your hobbies in your spare time and not work any more than 40 hours a week. All of those goals can be reverse engineered and we can work out the time and all the money required to achieve them. And then financial goals. Hey, you want to live in a nice house by the beach in Burley Heads, or you want to be able to build passive income so you don't have to work so hard. You don't have to go shoot weddings on the weekend. You can be picky and choosy around the clients that you work with. Okay, great. Well, once again, we can reverse engineer that into an action plan. What you need to get really good at is actually getting clear on not just your goals in the short, medium, and long term, but understanding the significance of those goals to you. And I facilitate that with three very simple questions. First question is, what is fundamentally important to you? So what are your non-negotiable needs? Second question is, assuming your fundamental needs are met, what then becomes your goals, your dreams, and your aspirations? And question number three is, what is the significance of those goals, dreams, and aspirations to you? And the better that you can get at answering those three questions for yourself, the easier it's going to be for you to be able to achieve your goals. Love
0: that, man. And Just playing on that, do you find, this is something that I really wanted to to ask you, especially on this podcast, because I talk about it a lot, but I'm not a financial advisor. So I'd like to get your wealth of knowledge on this. Do you find a lot of people come to you and they have some sort of guilt around money and they have a block around money? They have like a like their mindset is not conditioned around money. They got like a hate relationship with money. Do you find that uh, people feel... Not afraid, but they feel embarrassed when they come and they, and they don't know the simple fundamentals around money. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, it's a, a snowball because typically and you know, what I find
1: is many people have unrealistic expectations around their money and then they beat themselves up when they fall short. Like to give you an example, I had a session with some of my private clients today, and we we're talking around the importance of having a war chest, a cash flow war chest, both personally and in your business. And we did a bit of a mastermind session about it. And there were some people there that didn't have enough in their war chest, and it was giving them a lot of anxiety. So the question that I posed them is I said, guys, okay, well, by when would you ideally like to have the war chest that you want? And what would that number be? And then they all set all of these really unrealistic timeframes. And when I challenged them on, I said, well, okay, you've set that timeframe that you wanted in three months but you don't feel like you can make it happen, what are you going to do? And they go, I feel hopeless. I'm probably not going to do anything. Mm. And this is the mentality many people have, like not just about their short-term goals, but big, like their their long-term goals too. Like, oh, I can't buy the house that I want to live in, in, in Brunswick, because it's going to take me too long to save the deposit. Ah, stuff it. I'm just going to go out and party. So it won't even start. Yeah. And the hardest momentum to create, and this comes down to physics, the hardest momentum to create is your initial momentum. And I start with some clients with saving $50 a month and just breaking the ice. And then once you create that initial momentum, then we can compound and build upon it. And
0: it just comes down to overcoming that guilt and understanding that this is about progress over perfection. Totally. I love that, man. And it just like confirms so many things because I know, you know, myself included. And I know, like, even talking to my mom, I can't help her with finance because she gets so embarrassed about it. She wants to stop the conversation. And she would rather live in absolute despair with her finances instead of admitting that she needs help or she admits that she doesn't know about money. And to me, that's like a crying shame because I'm like, why is this a secret? You know, like everyone knows all my finances. Everyone knows my community knows how much I get paid. Like everyone knows everything about finances for me because for me, I'm like, I don't think it should be a secret. I agree. (laughs) Like we don't grow from secrets. 100%. Hundred percent. I agree with you one hundred percent, John. It's so refreshing that you talk about
1: this because I'm the same. I'm an open book. Um and I remember when when I was planning for this trip that I'm I'm gonna be doing shortly, um I recorded a video on YouTube where I showed everyone my personal profit and loss um of what was my cash flow personally before I went on the trip and then what's the cash flow going to be after the trip? And I had people reaching out to me in the DMs like, Oh, Jackson, like why are you sharing all of your own personal finance? Like, isn't that private? Like, shouldn't you keep that to yourself? I'm like, no. I found personally that when you, when you hide things, you give them power over you. Even if you're embarrassed about your finances, share that experience openly, own that experience because when you can own that experience and you can share it openly, you take its power away over you.
0: I absolutely believe that. That's, it's like hit home hard for me with so many different things. But I'm, I am an oversharer because I'm, I'm literally that person. Like, it's kind of like the M&M battle at the end of 8 Mile where he like exposes all the things that the other person's going to talk about him. Now, it takes away the power of all the things and all the ammunition. And I believe exactly. in that 100%. 100%. <laughs> Got to be like more like an eight, eight, 8 Mile M&M. <laughs> exactly. Hey, so before we dive in, I know that you're just about to go and travel around Australia in a nice big Land Cruiser and you run a business with, you know, 27 employees and and you're doing all that as well. So tell us about the little adventure you got coming up.
1: Yeah, look, I, I, similar to you, Jai, I've always been a big believer in kind of challenging the status quo and, and having this kind of curious mind that leads me to kind of challenging what is. And for a really long time, working with thousands of clients, we'd always ask them kind of questions around, okay, what are you, your, your big term goals? What are you trying to achieve? And most people have some sort of big bucket list item that they want to achieve. It's three months in Europe. It's the the year traveling around Australia with their kids. Um, but most of them set goals too far in the future. It's like in five years' time, we'll do it, or in 10 years' time, we'll do it, or in when we're old and gray, we'll do it. And I always challenge them. And I said, well, why don't you do it sooner? What's stopping it? And there's always an excuse. And I've always been a believer that you either find a way or you find an excuse. There's no in-between. So I said, no, stuff this. And I'm turning 32 at the end of this month, but I said, okay, 31, in a year's time, I'm going to get my business in a position where I can manufacture financial freedom now. Enough financial freedom and enough flexibility from my business that I can travel around Australia for a year in a four-wheel drive with my girlfriend and our two dogs and show people what it's like to create a seven-figure lifestyle business today. And then 12 months ago, I set the wheels in motion and then I just started working systematically to get my business ready and get my finances ready and set everything into place that would afford me that freedom to be able to do it. And we leave in less than a month. And um, so it's just one of those things, when you set lofty
0: goals, it's surprising what you can actually achieve. When you actually take the actions and make the plan. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So many of us set those goals and then we don't uh, take the same amount of actions to hit those goals. So there's a big one. Exactly. And let's dive into these uh, 10 commandments, these 10 rules, building some wealth. So number one, and I love this one, do not pursue what your heart doesn't value. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? I think this talks to superficial goals
1: that many of us are conditioned through society to want for. We're in a, a society where we are getting bombarded by advertising and marketing for every single minute of the day that we're online. And it's, it takes a very strong person with willpower and to really know what they want to not kind of give into wanting for things that we actually, our heart doesn't really value. Like, do you really want the the beach house the million dollar mansion. Do you really want to drive the Porsche or the Maserati? Like, do you really want to fly at the pointy end of the plane every time that you fly? Do you really want all all of these things? When you and this is where those three questions come from. Is it's about if you really want something, take the time to reflect on it, unpack it, and understand not just what you want, but the significance behind why you want it. And I found even for myself in many cases that I've actually challenged myself on it, and that I've realized actually, Jackson, no, that's just your ego talking. And if you're driven by your ego or you're driven by what other people, you think other people want for you, then you're never going to muster up the power to be able to make it happen. And even when you do get it, it's not going to make you happy.
0: Hmm. Love that, man. And like so many people, put too much weight on like trying to show off their wealth and things like that. And people say it to me all the time, like you couldn't be successful, you couldn't be a seven-figure business owner. I've seen your car, I've seen your house. You don't have luxury, and they associates like you need to have a watch or something like that. But man, I'm not spending money on things that don't matter to me. Like that's that matters to them, you know, from the outside. So yeah, we've definitely fall into that trap. A lot. But hey, someone that owns seven figures and someone that actually makes money, like they're not out there spending it because they're not a consumer. And that's the difference. So a lot of us, if we're consumers, we don't have money, but we wish we could get money. And when we got money, we'll consume even more. But then you have someone that's like an investor or someone that's a creator, and I feel like The whole purpose is they're there investing and creating and producing. And then, of course, I don't care about going to get a watch because that's just consuming. And it's such a different mindset shift. But I mean, an investor can't really talk to the consumer about it because it's such a different mindset. And look, I I probably sit somewhere in the middle, Like I appreciate nice things.
1: Probably not the same nice things that other people like, but I enjoy experiences. I do enjoy nice watches. I collect vintage watches. But the great thing about that is that I I collect them for my own personal gain, but they also appreciate in value. Like my watch collection went up 30% last year. (laughs) Um, So that's always a nice thing. But I'm not doing it for financial gain. I'm doing it because it fills me with joy. And I know that when I was younger and more ego-driven, there were times that I'd I'd wear the designer clothes and I'd I'd drive the the, the Mercedes AMG. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, people are going to think I'm real cool. And people are like, oh, Jackson, that's an amazing uh, pair of of shoes that you've got. Oh, I love that car that you drive. And what's really interesting is no one cares. Mm. And it still leaves you with that big gaping hole of being unfulfilled until you find your purpose. And the reason why most wealthy people don't flaunt their wealth and typically the ones that do aren't happy is that they don't need to. They're doing the things that fill them up. And typically their money is a lag indicator for them just doing the things that already fill them with joy anyway. It's a game.
0: Absolutely, man. It's, it's the same as like, imagine putting this into another um, scenario. Imagine someone that makes seven figures and then they're on Facebook groups telling everybody what they do and they're making all this money. You've of course going to go, are you sure that you're doing that? Because someone that makes seven figures generally are out there making seven figures and producing and creating and, and they're in a whole different frequency. So yeah, it's just the same thing. It's like, do you actually need to show the money? Do you need to buy the things or are you out there like producing and compounding what you have right now? Exactly. So next one, number two, fail to plan, plan to fail. Yeah. I think most people are terrible planners and even people who
1: think they're good planners are often not as good as they could be um, because I think many plans are one-dimensional. We, Most of us have been conditioned to work towards our goals in a transactional, one-dimensional sense that we have our eye on, our pri- on the prize for one thing, we chase that one thing, And then in many cases, once we achieve that one thing, the foot comes off the accelerator, we lose the momentum until we find the next one thing. I'm all about three-dimensional planning. And that exercise that I mentioned before of having a lifestyle and financial goals, I help my clients map that out over 20 years. And what that ensures is that we always have the next north star to chase. And not only are we working towards one goal, we're working towards all of our goals simultaneously. Because the great thing about being a business owner is that our income and earning potential is unlimited. We just need to work out based on all of our goals and aspirations, both lifestyle and financial, we need to reverse engineer that into an income target. And as long as we hit that income target, all of our goals are presupposed. So it makes it gives us complete clarity. And when we've got a plan to that level of detail, it changes the game completely.
0: Man, clarity is everything. I always say this. Like if you know what you're doing, you can focus on something. Like success literally is a prolonged amount of focus over a period of time. And if you did focus on something. The longer that you focus on it, the more chance you're going to have for that success. And so many people don't see that. And I see it all the time. Like I'm, I show up and I show up and I show up. No one's listening. I still show up. No one's watching. I still show up. And it's the only reason why someone will say to me, Jai, you're an overnight success. And I'm like, yeah, overnight. And I started 2013. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was the longest night of my life. <laughs> and it's
1: it's tough, right? It's hard to persevere when you're at that point. I know, and I have that little voice in my head sometimes mm. where you're just doing your stuff and you're like, oh, shit, why isn't this paid off yet? And then it's just when you have that thought and you keep persevering through it, everything switches and then it all pays off in the end.
0: Love it. And if you've got a big enough why, like you were saying, you're saying, you're showing up, showing up, and you know in six months' time, you're going to be traveling around Australia. Four months' time, you're traveling around Australia. Like the things are in the motion. You're getting out of bed, the alarm's going off, you're ready, you're excited, you're relentless. So I think having those plans and those goals that you're working towards, like you're saying, is such a, such a game changer. 100%. Okay. Number three, stick to what you know, outsource everything. I love this one. Yeah, I'm a big believer of playing to your strengths, right? And I think this is the same thing.
1: Like, most people get into business because they're passionate about one particular thing, because typically most people are a technician, right? They do something, they realize they've got a knack for it, they realize that they could probably make more money if they went into business for themselves. But then they end up inheriting all of these extra responsibilities that they really didn't sign up for. And they go back to being a generalist and they shit at all of these other things but they're spreading themselves so thin that they often end up being shit at the one thing they went into business to do better than anyone else. Mm. So I think it's important to have a high level understanding of all of the functions of your business, but then understand your true value. of Where is your time best spent in your zone of genius? And get all of those low value tasks off your plate to people who are really good at it, who light them up, they actually enjoy doing it, that can leave you to do what you do best.
0: I love it, man. And hey, here's one way I think like the schooling system really fails us is when we're bad at something, like say maths or English or science or whatever it is, then they make us do more of the thing that we're bad at. And they double down. You have to do homework. You got to stay after school. You have to do an extra assignment. And instead of nurturing what they're actually good at, like what do they put on this earth to do? What are they passionate about? You know, Maybe it is sport. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's something else. And I always think it's so interesting how we put so much emphasis on trying to learn and conquer the things we don't know and we're not good at and it's hard for us opposed to actually going with the flow and doubling down on what makes you tick what makes you you know light up a room what's the thing and then outsource everything else to the same person but is passionate about the other thing that you don't like 100 exactly couldn't agree more love it okay number four grow as a person business will follow Look, we've got a similar saying around this,
1: Jai, that uh, my saying has always been, as a human being, you're like a tree. You're either growing and thriving or you're rotting and dying. You need to choose one. And if you're hitting invisible ceilings in your business, then it's likely because you've capped out in terms of your personal growth and you need to step that up to the next level. So I always find if I'm not happy with the results that I'm getting in business, I've got to look internally. Because there's normally something that's happening internally that's resulting in that external reality that I'm unhappy with. So instead of just constantly trying to put out fires and deal with it from a tactical standpoint, then I look at the big picture and I work out what's the catalyst that's resulting in that outcome. So you always got to keep going.
0: Man, I love that. And like for me, and you probably know from the little time that you've talked to me as well, is like, man, personal growth is huge. And it's it's like one of those things like so many people say... um you know, I can't wait until I'm successful at business. I can't wait until I get success because I'll be happy. But they don't realize you need to be happy to get the success. Like you need to have that already and then the success will come because it's attracted because of it. And so many of us don't see that, you know, and I think it's so important to to double down on that. I agree. And this is why I call my book Enjoy the Journey is that we have to enjoy the journey, right? Because if you keep chasing that destination and you're miserable the whole way along, what's the point? I actually did um, an Instagram post about it today and it was about uh, wishful and willful. And so wishful was like, you know, building wealth, right? It's like, I wish, I'm wishful that if I buy a lottery ticket, I'm going to win the lotto because the end result is what I want. I'm going to buy a yacht, I'm going to buy a car, it's going to be amazing, I'll live an amazing life. But willful is someone that's like, I'm going to be financially free, I'm going to go after it. And what I love is every day I get to wake up and I get to go after it. So every day I live an amazing life. And it's so interesting how one person has an amazing life in their head, what they want to get to, and the other person is living an amazing life right now because they're going towards it. So I think that's a really cool analogy. That's what it's all about. Okay, I love this one. Number five, always be learning. And some the way that I always say it is like always be the student. You know, There's always people to learn from everywhere you go.
1: Yeah. And I struggled with this a lot, Jai, like as a, a younger fella who was kind of driven a lot by ego. And I think many of us do, we have to learn through the school of hard knocks. And I think there's times in life where you fall into the trap of feeling like you know everything, there's nothing left to learn. And that's where the opportunities very quickly come to a grinding halt. And I think when the turning point for me was committing to being a lifelong student, um, and even one of my, my latest revelations that I, I was taught by somebody in front of me, I was on Clubhouse, I can't remember who said it, but they said, hey, if you're closing your mind off to people that you don't like, and you can't learn from those people, there is a substantial part of the world that you that you're missing out of lessons from. And they go, wow, okay, I never really thought about it that way. Like people like Grant Cardone and these types of individuals, I don't really like. Um, even people like jo- Jordan Belfort, like they, I just don't align with their values. But even though I don't align f- with them from a values perspective, and I don't have to agree with them on that basis, they're still very knowledgeable.
0: People. Yeah, you don't have to like them to learn from them. <laughs> Exactly. I love that, man. And what I love about learning, right, is you learn upwards, but you learn downwards as well. And I know for myself in my space as an educator, I talk to other wedding photography educators and they're always chin wagging with each other. But one thing I like to do is I go and talk to all the students, man, because they're the ones that know the trends or know what's happening right now. They're the ones that are feeding me the knowledge that I need so I can make the best possible programs and courses and things like that. I don't want to learn off the the people next to me. I want to learn from the people that I'm actually teaching. And I think having that mindset, it really helps. 100%. Okay, number six, fail fast.
1: Yeah, I, I think this is, comes back to the schooling system, Jai. Like most of us are conditioned that, to be fearful of failure. And for this reason, we go into business and we walk on eggshells and we try our best to do things tentatively in a way where we can avoid failure altogether. And that costs us hugely in terms of growth potential and opportunity cost. The whole idea of business is about failure. It's about working through all of the things that don't work until you find out what does. And it's about understanding that failure is where the best opportunities and growth are often found. And so you've got to be prepared and often you need to condition yourself to be excited to fail and fail fast.
0: Love it, man. And the faster you get it out of the way, the faster you can move forward. Exactly. (laughs) Love that one. Okay. Number seven, know thy numbers. I think it's
1: another thing in school, like I can probably count on less than one hand the amount of proper financial lessons that were taught that could be applied to the real world. And for this reason, most of us learn about money from our subjective firsthand experiences, whether it's the things that we observe from our parents or our own firsthand experiences that we have. For that reason, we are very subjective in terms of the way that we manage our money, both personally and in our business. We do it by feel. We do it by emotion that's not always the best way to do things. So it's important to understand the fundamentals of money, both personally and in your business. And it's not complex. It's really simple. Just understanding a few things around cash flow control and your KPIs and knowing your margins and how you can drive profitability and and, and how do you turn business profit into personal wealth. Understanding these basic fundamentals will take you further than many other things.
0: So just to bring it to a little bit more of a basic understanding for all my wedding photographer and creative entrepreneurs that literally don't want to know about their numbers. Do you think it's good even just to get into notes on your, um, on your computer and just track your weekly numbers like as in like, okay, so here's my net worth, here's a, here's a number, here's like how much I'm making at the moment and then actually start looking at how much you're making and then what affects what you're making for instance if you just bought a new camera your net worth just went down you know whatever and then so now you can actually start understanding the decisions that you make day to day and how that actually affects your numbers overall
1: there's a couple of other really simple things that we can do Jai, is that i find cash flow because ultimately most numbers come back to cash flow control and it's about there's really three factors at play there's the structure of how your money flows There is the oversight of how you review your money and make better decisions into the future. And there's your behavior of do you have the right behaviors and are the right outcomes exhibiting themselves based on the the behaviors that you show. And in my experience, I've found that if we get the structure right, that is 70% of the battle. So we've got to have the right bank accounts, the right buckets. Then 20% is the oversight. We need to have a system for reviewing and optimizing. And that only leaves 10% for behavior. And if we lose this structure, then it means 80% of it is behavioral, which is sometimes an uphill battle. So the simplest Mm. thing that all of you guys can do is just set up your buckets properly and have money flow. And if you want some more insight on that, I've got an educational guide that you can hit me up on IG um, and it'll walk you through step-by-step of how you can structure it and it keeps you out of a spreadsheet.
0: Yeah, because I know my audience want to be left out of that spreadsheet. They're not keen. I mean, there's a reason why they don't know their numbers. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So live for today. So this is number eight. Live for today and plan for tomorrow. This has been my life's motto. Um, and this
1: is why I, I see myself as being in, in the middle of those two camps of the investor and the consumer. Because I think many of us tend to have one of two views. With uh, yellow. we d- derive gr- instant gratification for everything and we blow every last red cent that we earn um, and we don't leave anything for tomorrow. Or we defer all gratification and we live on a shoestring budget eating cornflakes for dinner because we want to make sure that we're preparing for the future that we're so fearful of falling short of. But what happens if we could have our cake and eat it too? What happens if we could do both? What if we could live an amazing lifestyle, but also still put money away to prepare for a future, which let's face it, might not come, because we're on borrowed time. and The only thing we're guaranteed is today. So we wanna make sure we reward ourselves for all of our hard work, because this is about positive reinforcement of the right behaviors. Um, And if we can do that systematically, then we can have our cake and eat it too. We can live an amazing lifestyle and also achieve financial freedom in the future.
0: Love it, man. That's, yeah, it's everything. So uh, number nine, think big, act small.
1: Yeah, Uh, I I like the, the whole idea of thinking bigger. My view has always been you shoot for the stars and if you hit the moon, you're doing pretty well. And I think one of the biggest problems that many people have is that they don't set their goals big enough because what's the worst that can happen? Normally, you, you set this big lofty goal, and we were having a conversation about this last night, actually, um, of, uh, of talking about my goal of what I'm trying to do in terms of empowering business owners to achieve financial freedom. And I said, I want to help a million people. And you're like, oh, why isn't it bigger? Uh, which is true. Okay, I, I could set that goal as being a billion. And hey, what happens if I end up at 2 million? It'd be, still be better than where I started out. So I think all of us need to set that goal and then think bigger. And here's a great exercise for this, guys. And Jai, we'll do this together. Okay, let's do it. So what I want you to do is I want you to put your hand up into a fist and I want you to squeeze it as hard as you can. There it is. Now squeeze harder. All right, it's getting harder. You can squeeze <laughs> harder, right? My first instruction was squeeze as hard as you can. But then when I asked mm-hmm. you again to squeeze harder, you
0: still had some, some in the tank. Totally. And this is the power of a good coach. So why didn't I squeeze as hard as I could to start off with? <laughs> exactly. We always play it
1: safe. It is our first port of call. We follow the path of least resistance. And that's why having a good coach can hold you to a higher standard, get you to think big, but then also break it
0: down into measurable, actionable steps to keep you on the right track. Love it, man. Okay. And then the last one, and then I'm going to get into a bit of a free-for-all because I want to ask you all the questions and put you on the spot. So number 10, step back and reflect.
1: Yeah. Reflection is the most powerful tool that I have and every single person in this world has in their repertoire. Too often, do we set a goal, we have a perception of what we think is going to happen, we set out in pursuit of it, and then we just move on to the next thing without actually taking the time to to think about it. And this has been proven. Now, hundreds of years, this principle works. This dates back as early as the Jesuit priests, of the feedback loop. Set a perspective of what you think is going to happen, then go out and do it and take the time to stop and reflect. And what you'll find is that you'll have two overlapping circles. And in some cases, when you first start, those circles aren't very closely overlapped. But by reflecting, you say, okay, why did I think this was going to happen? And then I fell short. And by doing this over time, you start course correcting. So those circles become closer and closer overlap. So your perspective and perception of what is actually possible becomes super connected to what is realistic and you will just achieve your goals. They end
0: up becoming presupposed. Love it. There's one thing that like, um, I've told a lot of people is the more that I've uh, had a break from work, gone on a road trip, gone on a holiday or something, the more money I always make because I have a holistic approach, like overlook of my business. And then I can start seeing the things that I couldn't see when I was working in my business, hustling all day, doing the things I don't love doing. But yeah, when you step out, you can start seeing the whole picture and how it all works together and how you can easily make one change and make so much more income, more impact, everything else. I agree with you 100%. That's why I'm
1: so excited about this trip, Jai, because I know there's going to be some point over that 12 months where I'm going to be the back of, of kick a tin along nowhere and, and I'm going to have this epiphany moment where everything's going to fall into place and then I'm going to create even more momentum. So that time out of your business is just so valuable.
0: Yeah, and I don't think enough people do it. Like you, just They just don't take the time to step back and clear their mind and actually get creative. And the more creative you get, I don't know about you, Jackson, but myself, the more creative I get with my business the more impact I make, the more I do everything. Like everything blows up, if that makes sense. 100%. Look, I'm uh, My archetype is
1: an architect and I, I love creating stuff. I love bringing new ideas to life. I love fixing things and solving problems. And I just can't do that when I'm on the coal face. and I have to have that time out to be able to reach my fullest potential. So it's so valuable.
0: Awesome. Okay, so now that we're going to a bit of a free-for-all, I've got a couple of things that I know you're going to hate. So one is I did a podcast episode and I know I told you about this, but it's called Get Rich Quick. And I know for yourself, you'd be like, get rich quick. Like You're literally saying the thing I don't like. So my philosophy is I believe in get rich quick and I don't believe in get rich slow. And for a few different reasons, right? So get rich quick changes our our mentality. So this comes back to your mindset because so many people go, okay, I've got time. I'm going to get rich slow. So I'll start tomorrow and I'll delay things. And also we don't have, like you said, it's all borrowed time. We don't actually know. But with Get Rich Quick, it's all about like, what can you do now to make a difference? What can you do now to compound your knowledge, go on a holiday, just like you said, like to me, that's like, ah, this guy's going to get rich quick because he's thinking right now, what can he do? So just that's one thing like mindset change. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because with our mindset, when we do go, I'm going to get rich slow because that's how everybody does it. When I look around, if I go down to, you know, down to Melbourne here, anyone that's driving a fancy car or has a nice house and stuff, like they're always under 40 years old. And I'm like, okay, so if everybody has all this money, and then I look at my parents and and then all my friends' parents and everything, and they're always told like, get rich slow, buy an investment property. And now it's time for them to sell their houses. They don't even have enough money to trade up for the whole day and everything else. I'm starting to see like a bit of a flaw in the system. And so obviously... I'm not talking about like doing reckless things. not talking about that at all. But I am talking about empowering yourself now so you can get rich within the next five, ten years through doing business, through doing, uh, having products, buying assets, through empowering yourself into knowing what to do. What do you think about that?
1: I agree <laughs> with that completely, Jay. I think, look, the, the, and it's important that we have that caveat because I think um, many people, and, and what we see is as individuals, because we don't have these commandments that we've just run through, Most of us don't have guiding principles around our money, that when we start talking around get rich fast, we end up becoming reckless because we can often be our own worst enemy. And I think that the way that I refer to it is we need to get rich smart because ultimately as an entrepreneur, we have an opportunity, a tremendous opportunity, and we are part of an elite club. An elite club of every rich list in the world has shares something in common with us. The vast majority of those people are business owners. The only difference between you and them is that they know how to get rich smart. They understand the fundamentals because there are only three ways to make money in this world and that have been proven over time. There is business, and the first thing you need to do is treat your business like it is an investment. Stop treating it like an ATM, treat it like an investment, turn it into the cash cow and build its value. And understand, is it a growth business? Do you have the, business, the ability to scale up a business that can be sold? Unfortunately, many photography businesses cannot if you're just a solo operator, but there's creative ways that you can get around that. You can sell your lists. You can create products. You can create income streams. There's other things that you can do leveraging your primary skill set so we can get rich smart. The next thing we can do is even if you are in, in a cash flow business where your business can't be sold, you need to have a systematic way of turning your business profits into wealth. And the two other ways you can can do that that have been proven throughout all time is property and shares. And we don't need to be sexy with it. We can buy good quality blue chip property that we know is going to do 10% a year. And if you've contributed a 10% deposit and that, so let's say we buy a million dollar property and we contribute a hundred grand and that property goes up by 10%, that is a hundred percent return on your money. Where else are you going to get a hundred percent return? Or, and I know that you're into property development, Jai, we we start, we build up equity, and then there's ways that we can manufacture wealth through property. Like There's some phenomenal strategies. We, we don't have to build uh, 40 apartment complexes. We can do dual occupancy subdivisions, or we can get a house and we can put a granny flat at the back, and we can get involved in the share market. We can go and buy a good quality index fund of the S&P 500 or the ASX 300. We don't need a stock pick. We don't need to get sexy. And we can at least get started. And if you are interested in learning how to trade the stock market or manufacture wealth in other ways, then you need to study and you need to learn it. Because unless if you're just punting and saying, oh, I'm just going to throw it at my money at a dartboard and see what sticks, you're gambling. You may as well chuck that money in a poker machine at the RSL.
0: Definitely, man. And I'm um, definitely like, it's funny because the stuff that I say... It works on both sides because, for instance, like if I was going to go and buy shares because I'm like, I'm going to get rich quick, I don't trade shares because I'm not a trader. Or if I'm going to buy crypto, I don't, I don't trade crypto because that's not what I do. But I do buy, I'm getting rich quick because I've bought crypto and I bought shares and I've bought property and I bought you know all these things. I have lots of businesses. I'm doing things on the side because I'm going after it because I know I have borrowed time and I know that today is the day that I'm going to start building my wealth. 100%. <laughs> And we've done exactly the same thing, mate. Like in three
1: years, we've been built a, a team of 27. We've got six businesses. We've got six hundred clients around the world. Our business is valued at five million dollars. And we've created that in three years. So you can get rich quick. And it's it's just about understanding what's the smartest way to use your skill set and trade time for money, but then ensure that you hold on to that money and compound it. So then you can you trade that money to buy back your time.
0: Love it. And here's another saying that you're gonna hate is um like this, this stuff, and you know, when people say like um, money doesn't buy happiness, right? And then I always say, it's like, well, it buys you everything else. And being poor doesn't buy you anything. So <laughs> so it kind of breaks that limiting belief. And here's another one. And I hear people saying all this all the time. If it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. Steer away from it. And I think this comes back from like my parents and their parents going through the, the Cold War and the Depression, all this kind of stuff. They're always like "It's scarcity mindset. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Don't go near opportunities. And I'm seeing more now and as i am been growing is I have been avoiding things that are too good to be true, but now I'm realizing they are true though. And it's me limiting myself from a, a, like a limiting belief saying it's too good to be true because I believe it's not for me that I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. But for yourself, for instance, if you said, hey, Jai, I built a business in three years, it's worth $5 million. It's so easy for me to say, that's too good to be true. I'm going to steer away from that because that doesn't happen for people like myself. So what do you think about that saying? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I've been caught up in that myself because
1: I think we've always got twenty twenty vision in hindsight, right? Like I'm sure we've all had those opportunities where we've kicked ourselves like, oh shit, I should have bought crypto. At, oh, that's every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: it's, it's just these things. But I think what's really important is this once again comes back to that subjective framework that we use to make financial decisions. If the only way for you to work out whether something is too good to be true or not is to have a due diligence framework that allows you to objectively assess the risk versus return. Because every investment in this world, your business included, has a relationship of risk versus return. How much risk is in the deal? So what's your risk of losing capital? And what is the opportunity cost of this investment underperforming compared to other options that you have? And then what is the potential upside considering past performance, considering other comparables, considering the fundamentals and the potential opportunity in the market based on the thing that you're looking to invest in? And if you've got got a framework that you can ask yourself the right questions, check the boxes, dot your I's and cross your T's, and then by all means jump in. But this is the difference between investing and gambling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's so interesting as well because like it's easy to say these things, especially as myself, but like it really does come down to the knowledge, right? Because I definitely don't stick my money. I put my money into risky things, but it's not risky to me. It's risky to other people. Other people see it and go, that's a big risk. I can't believe you did that. And I'm like, it's a calculated risk to me because I know the downside. I know the upside and I know the upside is much higher than the downside. And I'm willing to lose the downside to gain that upside. And I think um, things become too good to be true. For instance, like if I came to you and you mapped out a plan, you're like, Jai, in the next you know, with the income that you're making in the next five years, I could have you. So you're financially free. Like you could do this. It's so easy for me to say, that's too good to be true, man. And I don't deserve it. It's not for me. And it's, it can't happen. And, um, we learned this from our parents. So I think like being empowered and, and something I actually wanted to say to you that I love that you said before, is like, don't outsource stuff until you know it yourself. Cause you won't get the results that you're after until you know it. And one thing that I learned when I was, um, in my twenties is I learned, basically everything around money. I, I just massive deep dive, right? And so when I go to my accountant now, he loves it because I sit across from him and I challenge everything he's doing, but I bring so much to the table and he's always like, man, you think of strategies I've never even thought of. And I'm like, that's <laughs> because that. you learned from a university and I'm thinking differently, but I know your rules, you know, so that way I can like bend those rules. And it means now the return that I get on like, you know, my tax returns or the tax breaks that I get and stuff, it's completely next level because I'm not relying on him doing it for me. I'm being proactive, but I'm getting him to guide me so I'm not, I'm not breaking those rules. And we all need that
1: different perspective. Is, and I think you can't have that perspective. You can only take people on their word if you have no understanding of what they're talking about. It's so like if, if you've got something, you've got a medical condition and you go to a specialist and you have absolutely no idea about this medical condition, you've never heard of it before. Like you could challenge them. But it's an uneducated challenge. You're only doing it for the sake of doing it. However, if you did your research and then you got at least some level of understanding, you could have an informed conversation, probably not to the same level, but you can bring different ideas to the table. And that's exactly what you've done. And more people need to do it, Jai. But unfortunately, most people, because of the, the the money baggage that they've got, because of their belief systems, because of their own firsthand experiences, they feel that they either need to do their money for themselves and be completely alone, or they need to
0: outsource it and take a leap of faith. It's amazing. And once again, I think we need to find a happy medium between the two. It's amazing. So one last little thing that I wanted to say here is um because like I, I studied money so much and I and I love it because it's I mean, money to me is just freedom. It's, it's just like it's an easy thing for me. Like it comes and it goes and I and I allow it to flow around. And because I understand it, I can I know my ability to make new money. So it's not a problem when I'm losing if I lose my money. So one thing in my brother, he sort of just finished school and he he doesn't know what to do with his life, right? And he's like, oh, I know that I want to make a lot of money when I grow up and and so I'm not sure what career I should go on. And it's funny because he's like, what should I learn then? (laughs) And I said to him, man, if you want to make money, like personally, I wouldn't go to university, like have a couple of years off, but I would learn money. I would literally, if you want to make, like instead of trying to bridge the gap, I would go to the fastest route there and go like, You want that? Go learn that. Because once you learn that, then you have the ability to do anything in life. You can start anything. You can be creative. You can have any job because you know the fundamentals of money. You know what you're working for. You know it doesn't matter about your income. It's about what you're building for yourself. And then the rest will come. You'll be financially three by by the time you're 30. He's only 18, I think 17 now. So yeah, I was just like, man, the easiest way, isn't it? Just... We, we're never going to build wealth if we don't know what it is, and we're never. And if we despise like rich people, we're never going to become someone that has wealth. And there's so many mindset blocks around the whole thing about money.
1: And that's really funny that you say that, Jai, because I my entire life as a child, when I was my my first career that I wanted to do is I wanted to be a vet, and my entire school life. I was obsessed. I want to be a vet. I want to be a vet. It never faltered. Like many kids say, I want to be a police officer or a fireman or whatever. Mine was, I want to be a vet. And I I, I didn't shift away from that until I got to about year 10. And I had a teacher. She was a biology teacher. And she sat me down. And I was a bit of a naughty kid, always the kid that everyone said, oh, Jackson, you've got lots of potential, but you, you only if you applied yourself. I'm sure many people who listen to this have heard that before, right? And totally. she sat me down and she said, Jackson, you, you want to be a vet, but you realize that you've missed your chance. And I go, what do you mean? And she goes, well, you're not in the right subjects. You're not getting the right grades. Do you realize you need to get an ATAR of like 99.7? You know how much work that's going to take? And basically, I saw my my future being pulled away from me. And I was really defeated. And I remember going and asking my dad. I said, dad, I don't know what else to do. I've missed this shot. So what else should I do? Um, And he goes, well, what do you want? I go, well, I want to make a lot of money. And he goes, all right, well, if you want to make a lot of money, you've got to be around money. And I took that very literally. I skipped uni, I knocked doors. And that first job that I got, I was the youngest financial advisor to my knowledge in Australia at the time. And I just didn't take no for an answer. And it actually wasn't until my mid twenties that I actually went to university and I did my master's and I got my MBA. And I was able to do my MBA without one hour of study all from life experience because of the, the, basically the the seven years beforehand that I I knew it, I had the life experience. And I breezed through it.
0: So the school of hard knocks and doing things in the real world is the best way to learn. Man, it really is. And like, yeah, absolutely love it. Thank you so much for jumping on and chatting with me today. Where can we find you? I know we just um, read a little bit, went over a couple of points that's inside your, one of your books. Where can we find that? And where can we say hi to you? Yes. Yeah, so the best way to reach out to me is connect with me on Instagram. Um, I've only just been
1: kicking my Instagram off. Um, so if you search for uh, The Wealth Mentor, um, and I'm sure we'll include a, a link in the show notes, um, connect with me and uh, shoot me a DM. Um, I've got some great resources I can share with you, uh, whether it be my books, scorecards, cheat sheets, ways to structure your cash flow, just really ways for you to take an active role in actually getting excited about your money, because it doesn't need to be scary, guys. I've spent the last 14 years making what many people find complex super simple and um, we can actually get you some enjoyment around it and take that anxiety away from your numbers so you can stick to what you know and outsource the rest.
0: Love it. And just to finish off, just to all my creative entrepreneur friends out there that are sitting there going like, oh, that was really good. I hate spreadsheets. Yeah. Jackson, what Jackson said resonated with me. Can you give... if And say I am one someone in the audience, can you just give me one last piece of advice For me just starting out never invested before and i'm just so interested so keen to take control of my own life my own wealth my own money my own time i think the big thing here is a famous quote by confucius and the best time
1: to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is today it is never too late to start and just start small there are so many little apps like micro investing apps and things that you can set up literally in less than five minutes that can round up your transactions from you spend a dollar fifty it'll round it up by fifty cents There are ways that you can start super small and just break the ice because the hardest momentum to create is always that initial momentum. And then it's a matter of us just building on top of that momentum once we create it. So let's start small and progress over perfection.
0: Love it, man. Thank you for stopping in and talking to myself and the audience. We'll see you soon. Thanks,
1: mate. Chat to you soon.